Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Take out your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 13. And while you're doing that, I want to remind you that at the end of our service today, we're going to be at the Lord's table. We're going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper. And before we get there, I want to simply remind you that the Lord's table is for the Lord's people. It's for his redeemed ones. It's for those who have asked for, through their own repentance, the restoration that comes by having your sins forgiven and your name etched in the book of life. It's for the church, the real church, the people who know the Lord personally, and we want to encourage all who are here to participate with us, but we also want to remind you that it's God's people who can celebrate Christ's sacrifice on Calvary's cross. And so, if you have not yet believed on the only begotten Son of God, you're going to have an opportunity before we get to the Lord's table to do that. But as we pass out the communion elements, just remember it's a serious thing. And we hold it in the highest regard in this church. Jesus is now coming to a place that I think is so important for us, for where we are in our world, where we are in our nation, what is going on with us as a people. And Jesus now is going to say something that if you first glance at it, without a little bit of background history, you're probably going to think to yourself, well, that's weird. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word and open your minds, your hearts to receive from the Lord through his word. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that whether I'm a Galilean or a Pharisee or somebody from Southern California or somebody from the East Coast or whether I'm Hispanic or Asian or African American or white or whatever tribe or tongue I may have come from, there is only one Savior. There's only one Lord. And apart from you, Jesus, no one would be saved. And so we thank you for that truth. It draws all men together. It causes us to love one another as you have loved us. And we pray that your word now would speak to us as your people. Bless us, Lord, would we receive with with gladness the truth of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, Luke 13. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. Now you're sitting there, you're going, man, that is just weird, it's disgusting. It's like, what 
could that possibly be? So let me help you understand that. During this time, Caesar Augustus, who's Caesar in Rome, has appointed governors to the Roman world. The governor of Judea, the southern half of the Jewish people's empire, was Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate wanting to have great relations with the people whom he governed because he figured out that it was easier to be kind of nice and then afflict people with taxes than it was to just simply afflict them and cause war, decided that he would embark on some construction projects. One of his construction projects was the Tower of Siloam. The Jewish historian Josephus records its fall. The Tower of Siloam was part of an aqueduct system to bring water from the Pool of Siloam to the Temple Mount, primarily to be used for the Jewish people to cleanse themselves ritually and to be able to use the water for the, the temple court and the sacrifices. In the courtyard, which is on the southeast corner of the Temple Mount, that's where the brazen altar stood. In the, that area of the temple, that's where people would bring their lambs through this multicolored gate. Those lambs would be slaughtered. Their blood would be everywhere. And then a non-OSHA-approved construction project got undertaken. It was called the Tower of Siloam. Pilots got this construction project, and just like every good one percenter, he hired cheap construction labor. I'm trying to make you guys laugh a little bit, okay? Life is serious right now. So he hires local labor. They weren't the best. They weren't the brightest. They were from Galilee. Galilee was a region that was inhabited by people who were uneducated, typically fishermen and farmers. And so here's this construction crew. And let's just say they probably weren't all that great at construction because the tower came crashing down. And it crushed these 18 laborers. Their blood was spilled with the holy blood of the sacrifice in the temple precinct. And so this mixed blood, these are Pharisees that are now saying, can you imagine how God must have judged those heathen Galileans because they're working on a construction project by a heathen governor on the, in the middle of our temple precinct, and so God judged them and crushed their bodies and their blood mixed with the holy blood of our sacrifices. So think about it for a second. Put that in the back of your mind. And Jesus answered, verse 2, and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? There's where you come in. There's where I come in. There's where your judgmental heart and my judgmental heart, there's where our own particular bents on how we view other people come into view because essentially what they're saying was, these guys were so rotten, 
These guys were so deserving of God's judgment. These guys had nothing going on, and so God killed them. Now, you're probably saying, well, I, I don't think that. I can tell you there's a lot of people because they email me that I got an email this last Thursday from a guy who shall be nameless. And he told me point blank that unless you vote Republican, you're not a Christian. Now, funny, I didn't see that verse in the Bible anywhere. I have had the same thing said to me by people from the other political party, the Democrats. And then I've had people tell me that if you're an independent, you are kind of like people waiting in purgatory. I've had people tell me all kinds of things that if you don't do this or don't think that or don't look at things this way or you don't believe this or you're not engaged in that, that you must not be saved. Can I tell you that there's exactly one criteria whereby men and women will be saved and can be saved and must be saved, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus is making that point in this passage. Because you see, we all think that, well, you know, he's a Democrat, or he's a Republican, or she's an independent, or that person's a conservative, or this person's a liberal. We are having this conversation today in our country. If you don't think this way, or you don't think that way, if you believe this, or you believe that, or you're a Galilean construction worker, do you see it? Well, I couldn't possibly, because after all, where does this happen? It happens dead in the middle of the most holy church sanctuary on the face of planet Earth at the time, the Jewish Temple Mount. The Jewish people have the most highly organized and highly efficient religious system that had existed to that moment in time. In fact, they had been sent prophets and priests, and kings, and the very voice of God himself had spoken to the Jewish people. So in that sense, you're in our house. And so God must really not like you if you end up getting killed in church. I want you to think about this for a minute. Notice what Jesus says to this thought. Notice the question. Do you suppose that these Galileans are worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? Do you think that child molesters are unreachable? Do you think that people who don't think one way political, politically or another way politically are unreachable? Do, do you think that there's some other criteria? Because see, here's what your Bible says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not one. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, and everyone has turned to his own way. You see, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, that every last one of us has a problem before a holy God. Every one of us. Galileans and Californians too. Republicans and Democrats. 
even independence. Here's what it is. But I tell you, Jesus says, unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. Who's he speaking to? Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, members of the fanciest church that existed in the world. People that had gone to church their entire life. People that had God actually speak to their people. You know who it was that did the speaking. His name was Moses. Spoke for God because God spoke to Moses, said, go tell my people these things. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all? Circle that word, please. All. Circle that word, please. All the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was primarily Jewish, but they weren't the only inhabitants. And Jesus is saying, just because you're Jewish, do you actually think that you don't have a problem with God? Just because you were born into the most organized system of religion via your heritage, do you think that you're actually okay with God because you're part of a certain group? You might be able to modernize and say, well, because I'm born in America, of course I'm Christian. I've actually had people say that to me. I'm an American, of course I'm Christian. No, you're an American because you have believed on the only begotten Son of God. That's why you're an American Christian. You see, Jesus is making a very, very, very central point. I tell you, no. In other words, the question was rhetorical. I tell you no, in verse 3, but unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. And in case you didn't get it first time, I tell you no, the answer to the rhetoric. The question that demands a negative affirmation. No. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Why would Jesus make that case? Because they were confusing religion, church attendance, affiliation, association, a group, people, race, with salvation. And you're not saved because you're a certain type of person. Because every person ultimately is also a sinner. And it is sinners who admit that they're sinners and call upon the name of the Lord, they are saved. And Jesus is making that case. In other words, I need repentance if I want to be restored to a right relationship with God. It's not because I'm an American, it's not because I'm white. It's not because I primarily think conservatively. It's not any of those things. That's not how I'm going to get to heaven. And so that man that sent me that letter, not only is dead wrong, he's dead divisive. Because now Jesus becomes something other than Savior. We all 
need repentance because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Thereby, we all need a Savior. So Jesus is saying, put away your judgmental attitude. Put away your tendency. Now, I know none of you would do this, but you know, sometimes I think I'm more holy than I actually am. You know how that happens? I look at other people. Yep. Even pastors do it sometimes. Like, oh man, look at that. There's a great Geico commercial out there. It's the, it's the dude that he helps other people not become like their parents. Have you seen that one? I love the one where they're standing there and the guy with blue hair goes by. Don't look at it. Don't, don't look at it. It's blue. It's me. That's me. I see somebody go by. It's blue. They're doing something. They've got some habit. They say something. They act one way versus another way. They do something so that when you look at them, you go, oh man, there's no way they're going to heaven. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Everyone has turned unto his own way. There is none righteous, not one. Jesus is saying, look, those poor guys just got killed in a construction accident. It had nothing to do with the fact that they were Galileans. It didn't have anything to do with the fact that God was cursing them. That wasn't the issue. The issue was Jesus was telling them, you better stop looking at them and start looking at yourself. Quit looking at other people and start looking at your own life. You know, it's an interesting thing when you start to do a little introspection. You're going to find out you have enough problems all in and of yourself to worry yourself to death. You can just look at your own junk. You don't need to look at other people's stuff. Just look at your own. And so it brings up a question in my mind. Maybe it does in yours. How's your heart towards broken people? I can tell you how these guys thought about Galileans. God got them, na 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 na. Now they're all dead. Got what they deserved. Shows them Galileans not to come around these parts. You see it? Basically, they conscripted God and said, God holds our little worldview about Galileans. And if you're a Galilean, you're a dead man. God's got an out for you. Now let me modernize it. You know, if you struggle with same-sex attraction, straight to hell. You had a problem with alcohol. Ah, you're damned. Your morals aren't what they should be. Ah, off to hell with you. Here's the good news. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? That's what's in view here. And this is really important for the church, especially now. Because Satan is trying to divide the church into little compartments, 
made out of certain political groups and certain racial groups and certain economic groups and just groups, period. He's trying to separate and say, well, we're this kind of church or we're that kind of church. Or if you belong to this group that does these things, then you're good with God. But if you think these things, there's no way you can be saved. Church, we should not buy into that rhetoric because that's from the enemy. Jesus proves it here. These Galileans weren't cursed by God. They were the victims of poor planning and a construction accident. And God undoubtedly used their their demise for his perfect purposes somehow. How's your heart? Because these Jewish people believed that God was basically out to get sinners. God was mad with everybody. And he was just waiting for that opportunity to strike you dead if you didn't meet his criteria. Praise God, that is not the heart of the Lord. Because if it were, none of us are getting saved. Look, let's be serious about this. I'm not suggesting to you that child molesters, human traffickers, murderers are anything to be admired. They're not. And what they do is evil. And it should be roundly condemned. But you're not saved because of what you don't do. You're saved of because what Jesus did for you at the cross. Amen? Because here there's all kinds of redeemed people. And some of us were drug dealers. Some of us may have been a child molester. Some of us might be prostitutes. Some of us are drug dealers. Some of us are thieves. Some of us are liars. Here's our problem. The lists in the Bible don't stop with those big things. Now I'm going to afflict some of you right now. Because you see, just because we don't think in these terms doesn't mean it isn't true. You have a problem with God if you're bitter. You have a problem with God if you're hateful. You have a problem with God if you're envious. You have a problem with God if you're covetous. You have a problem with God if you can't control your tongue. You have a problem with God for a whole lot of things that many of you sitting here right now have probably throughout your life justified. Well, I'm bitter because. I hate because. I'm unloving because. I'm unjust because. And Jesus is saying to us right now, to all of us, myself included, there is no because. Because he is the answer to the because question. Because I'm a sinner, I need a savior. And there's only one of those. And his name is Jesus. You see, he makes himself to be the solution to everyone's problem. Unless you repent, you will perish. He doesn't say unless you go to church, unless you change your political affiliation, unless you become like this people group or that people group. He says unless you repent, you turn around, you acknowledge your sin and call upon the name of the Lord, you're going to perish. You see, they were thinking, well, we're holy, they're not, that's why they died. 
Now, I would tell you about this pet project. They had reason to think that way because the monies that were being used for the Tower of Siloam had been stolen from the Jewish religious treasury by Pilate. So it wasn't their thinking was unfounded. Just like many of you have thoughts about certain things in our world today. It's not unfounded. The problem is when you're talking about eternity, there's only one solution, and that's Jesus. So Jesus is turning our attention back to the cross, which is what we celebrate when we celebrate at the Lord's table. And so Jesus basically says to them, you need to lose your tooth, dude. You need to get over yourself. You need to stop pretending to be holier than everyone else on the face of the earth. Far from this being some singular act of well-deserved judgment on a bunch of really vile people that deserve to be killed, Jesus was basically saying, y'all should have been under the pile too. Every one of you deserve to be crushed if you want to look at it that way. Each of you should die for your own sin. Praise God, that's not our Savior, amen? All you need to do is call on the name of the Lord. All you need to do is ask. To as many as believed in him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, the daughters of God, the children of God, the bride of Christ. A simple solution to a very complex problem, I might add. You see, the Jewish people from their perspective, were just as guilty as, of sin as were the Galileans who got crushed under the tower, except they thought their sin was somehow better or their sin was somehow less serious and that God would be okay with their sin but not okay with Galilean sin. All sin is an offense to God. So for those of you that are struggling with anger or bitterness or hatred or, here's one for you, vanity. Now I'm going to really mess with you. How about gluttony? He did not just say that. You're the consummate foodie and foodie's got a hold of you. Why am I saying this? Because it's all sin. It's all sin. Your bitterness is sin. Your lack of faith is sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. You see, when you look at it from that perspective, you're really going to have much to judge anybody else with. You're going, oh, that person's got that problem. That person's got that problem. And oh, by the way, I got these problems. That's the way you should see it. And that's the way you do see it when you have a proper, proper understanding of who Jesus is. He came to seek and save those who are lost. Amen? Lostness isn't confined to the major sins. Lostness is anyone who doesn't know the Savior. So church, Jesus is, I believe, speaking to us even culturally in our moment through his word. It's time for us to flip a U-turn. A 
That's what repentance means. It means to turn around and go the other direction. In order to do that, there's a couple of things that have to happen in your mind. You have to, number one, let me explain this to you. A lot of people misunderstand this. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. That's why we like to use the term U-turn. Here's what happens. You figure you're on the wrong road. That's acknowledging you're going the wrong way, right? You also have to rationalize and think in your head, well, how do I get where I need to go? I need to turn around. And then what do you have to do? You actually have to go the other direction. That's repentance 101. I'm wrong. God's right. I need to go the other way. That's what's happening here. He's saying, look, you guys have a functional problem. You need to recognize what Romans chapter 3 teaches us there in verse 23. For all have sinned, not just Galileans. Jeff has sinned. Jeff has fallen short of the glory of God. In Jeff, there is no good thing. There's no righteousness in Jeff apart from Christ. You see, these are universal things. They have the same all in them that Jesus says, unless you repent, you shall all perish. The answer to the all is the all of the cross. It's the all that Jesus says, to as many as will come unto me, they will all be saved. You see, Jesus takes my all condition as in all of sin and changes it into you're all going to be with me as you believe. Peter in Acts chapter 3 preaches a sermon on this, this message of repentance. And he's speaking to a Jewish audience, Jewish men principally. And he starts talking to them about the prophets. And in verse 19 of Acts 3, he says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Without repentance, there is no forgiveness and without forgiveness, there is no restoration. Without the restoration that comes through the blood of the cross, the price is not paid, your sins are still yours, and you will perish. It's a very simple message. You can't keep your sin and have Jesus too. That doesn't mean you won't sin. doesn't mean that that will be the end of your sins necessarily, though hypothetically it is possible. But what it does mean is you acknowledge 100% of the time, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I, I can't stand before a holy God. If I was building that tower, I would have gotten crushed. If the Pharisees had worked on the tower, they would have gotten crushed. No matter who they were, it didn't have anything to do with the type of sin or, or the kind of sin we might say. In their case, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we shouldn't confuse that with the grace of God, either for someone or against someone. God is not against anyone. Did you know that? You know how we know it? The Bible says so. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what the Bible says. That's why Jesus came in the first place. You see, but what we like to do is go, well, this is our club. We, we, we belong to a certain group, and we're the, we're the holy ones. 
we're like, we're like really awesomely close to God. Look, let me, let me square away. Some of you probably have poor theology in this area. There's two types of people on this earth right now. Just two. Exactly two. There aren't three. There's saints and there's ain'ts. There's ins, there's outs. There's believers, unbelievers. There's redeemed, unredeemed. There's just two types. There's no independent group. Well, we can't really make up our mind right now, so we're just going to kind of play in the middle. No, that doesn't work either. Because then you're part of the ain't group. You're either in or you're out. You're saved or unsaved. And there's only one Savior. So Jesus is basically saying, look, if you don't repent, you guys who think you're so holy, if you don't repent, you'll perish. But if you do repent, you won't perish. You see the two crowds? You see the two people groups? You see the two choices, the two roads, the two gates? One narrow, one broad. You get it? You know why Jesus did that? That's why he spoke in the parables the way he did. There, there aren't 50 billion ways to get to heaven. There aren't 33 million Hindu gods. There's one God. There's one God. Is three persons. That's it. There's not many roads that lead to heaven. There's one road that leads to heaven. And it's narrow. You have to repent. No choice. So Jesus speaks to that issue, verse 6. So he spoke this parable. He's going to illustrate these things, not once, but twice. And I'll get to the second one as we celebrate at the Lord's table. Verse 6, and he spoke this parable to a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit and found none. Now, let's be honest, we plant fig trees or we plant orange trees or apple trees or whatever kind of tree, a fruit tree, you expect it to grow fruit, amen? I don't think most of you want just nice topiary, which we'll get to in a moment. But he came seeking fruit and found none. And he said to the keeper of his vineyard, so you have the certain man who planted it, that would be God, the keeper of the vineyard, that would be Jesus. Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Who do you think that guy is? That would be Jesus. How many years did he minister in Galilee? Three. Who did he minister to? The same guys that are saying those dudes died because they were Galileans. I came seeking fruit and I found none. So what does he say? Cut down the tree. Why does it use up the ground? Man's religion before a holy God without Christ is dead. No matter how holy it looks, no matter how grand the cathedral, no matter how wonderfully structured that religion is, if you take Christ out of religion, you have nothing. If we're not here today about Jesus, let's go home. Because there's nothing I have that I could share with you that you couldn't get from a self-help book if it's not Jesus. If you take the Word of God out and you take Christ out of the Bible, you take the Savior away from it, there is nothing I have to share with you. 
be better teaching you about home improvement or something. Why does it use up ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. In other words, I'll make the religion a little better. We'll fix a few things up. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it. In other words, give us a little more time to tend to the religious aspects of national Judaism. God had already done everything that was necessary to make them fruitful, but they didn't want what God had said or what God had done. That's why Jesus came. And he came to the Jew first and then the Gentile, amen? Jesus spent his whole three years principally talking about salvation to Jewish people, and they're like, we don't want that. We want to keep religion. God had dealt with the nation Israel in a wonderful way for 1,500 years. They were the only people on earth that God had actually sent prophets to and spoken to and given his word to them. And they didn't get it. They didn't want what was being told. They wanted something else. They wanted something entirely different. This is the people who had the Ark of the Covenant inside Aaron's rod that budded, a pot of manna, and the very commandments of God inscribed by the finger of God on tablets of stone. They had those things. I've traveled around to a fair part of Europe. I've seen some incredible cathedrals. I've seen relics. I've seen iconography like you can't imagine. I've seen what's supposed to be a splinter of the cross. But I can tell you this, I've never seen the Ten Commandments etched by God's finger. The Jewish people had those things. But they didn't have the God that scribed them. They had left him someplace in the wilderness. They'd become judgmental. And they were no longer listening. And so Jesus says, look, you're like a fig tree planted in a garden. And no matter how much fertilizing you do, it's not going to bear fruit. In other words, it's kind of like a, a nice topiary. I remember when I was, one of the few memories I have of doing anything ever with my parents before the divorce was when Disneyland opened. Those wonderful topiaries that are around the, the canals where the little boats are and, you know, there's Mickey Mouse and there's Dumbo the elephant. and Those are great looking bushes. Amazing. But you weren't going to get any fruit off of them. They were just plants. In a lot of ways, you could say a church without Jesus is just a plant. It's a bush. I look good. We got a beautiful building over there. But that beautiful building used to be a Teledyne Ryan missile plant. That's what that was. It's still just made out of concrete. The church is actually out here. 
to all. We can't lose sight of that. The church is God's redeemed people, those that are called by the name above all names. The reason we're called Christians is we are little bits of Christ. Amen? You, you have Christ in you that's your hope of glory, and you exude that spirit of the living God because you've been redeemed, because you repented. I'm going to ask the communion team at this time to begin to pass out the elements of communion. You're going to get a cup, and it's going to have a cup, and the bread's going to be on top. There are two different levels of plastic on there, and so you want to take the first one off. That'll expose the bread. The second one will expose the cup, but if you would just simply hang on to those, and we'll partake together. But as we wrap this up today, our attention is kind of drawn to this in this way. They needed to repent. They, they needed to say they were sorry. They, they, they didn't need more religion. They needed to take time and examine themselves. It, it wasn't about you know, it, it growing. It was about a time of repentance for them. It was about this incredible plant that was growing that was the church, but it didn't actually have Jesus in it. And Jesus says to that plant, well, we're going to have to cut that one down. In other words, he's saying, look, your, your time's about up. I've given you all this time, and there's no way to redeem what's going on right here. If you don't repent, you're going to perish. Church, I, I want to be really careful here. I think this is a message for us today. There might be some of you that are here today that need to repent. You need to turn from your sin. You need to believe on the only begotten Son of God. You need to receive Christ as Savior. Because these elements that are being passed out represent what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. They don't represent Calvary Chapel. They don't represent evangelical Christendom. They represent the broken body and the shed blood of the only Savior, Jesus. They represent his sacrifice on the cross. What follows next in our passage, beginning in verse 10, I used to look at, and I thought, wow, that's kind of weird. Why is that there? It, it seemed almost meaningless until it fell upon me a couple of years ago as I was studying this passage that Jesus is now going to illustrate what he has just said. You see, the parable of the fig tree was a partial illustration this now is a personal illustration of what he's just said. If you don't repent, you will perish. Notice verse 10. And now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. So it's a shift in day and time. Again to a Sabbath. Jesus, three times in the Gospels, gets in trouble on the Sabbath day. And whether they're intentional or not, I am not here to debate with you. But Jesus goes where a rabbi would normally go on the Sabbath, which is to the synagogue. And behold, 
There was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. And she was bent over. And she could in no way raise herself up. That's you. That's me. That's not just the church. That's every person who's ever lived. This woman couldn't help herself. She was lost. She was gone. The world couldn't help her. The world hadn't helped her. She was going to perish forever staring at the dirt of this earth. This is a woman who never gazed up at the night sky. This is a woman who never saw her children's faces before her. This is a woman whose life had been condensed down to, to a beggarly existence. This is a woman who had no hope. This is a woman who was lost. She could not in any way raise herself up. But here comes the compassion, the sympathy of our Savior Jesus. Here's what Jesus sees when he sees you bent over, when he sees the world humbling you, when he sees what's going on in your life and he sees that you're broken and you can't help yourself. This is what Jesus sees when he sees all we who, like sheep, have gone astray and the world's taken its toll on you. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. And he said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. That is the very thing that happened to you, happened to me, when Jesus called me. When Jesus called you, I was lost, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But he hath made me alive. He called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He took me that was broken permanently, could not save himself, and said, Jeff, would you stand up straight? What has bound you, you're loosed from. What has kept you, you have victory over. What nearly killed you, what nearly cost you eternity, I've taken care of. You're loosed. You're free. This word that's used here is the same thing that you would use if you were letting a ship go. You'd take the chains off the dock and let it sail. You'd take an animal and take the bridle off of it and release it back into the the wild, so it could do what it was called to do. This woman was loosed.
from her infirmity, the infirmity of her soul that had bound her, the infirmity of her life that had crippled her, the infirmity of her mind that had caused her to walk in pain. Jesus looked at her and said, woman, you're free. Do you see anything that she had to do? Jesus simply called her and said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your weary soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Stand up. You see, church, that's the cross that does that. It's the cross of Christ. It's believing that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Do you see it in this passage? She could not stand up. She could not fix her problem. But Jesus could. And Jesus did. One reason and one reason only. She believed Jesus. She just stood up. That's what I did when I said yes to Jesus. I just said, yes, Lord. It wasn't because I was in church. It wasn't because I had an opportunity to go to church. It wasn't because church existed. It was because Christ died on Calvary's cross, paying the price for my sin, shed his blood, which was the redemptive price for me. It's what was necessary to buy me back. Jesus did that for me, did that for us. Church, this whole passage tells us the futility of trying to do it our own way. It's not because I belong to a certain type of construction group. It's not because I'm a certain nationality. It's not because I'm one party or another party. It's because the redeeming blood of Jesus has washed me and made me clean. Though my sins, as as Isaiah said, though my sins be as scarlet, he makes them white as wool. The prophet Isaiah understood this. If you take that top piece of plastic and reveal the bread, hold the bread in your hands. Isaiah 53 illustrates this for us. The loosing of this woman. Who has believed our report? Isaiah 53 1 says, and to who or whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You think this woman had the arm of the Lord revealed to her? Do you think she believed the report? I guarantee you she did. She stood up for the first time in 18 years. She could see the birds in the sky. She could see the clouds. She would gaze on a sunrise and a sunset and the face of her children, all because she believed 
the Lord. For he'll grow up before us as a tender plant, a root and dry ground that has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus' church wasn't a pretty church. Jesus' church was a cross. A brutal instrument of torture. And the man that hung on it was so marred that the world really couldn't distinguish who he was. His body was that broken. Verse 3 of Isaiah 53, And he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Why? Because of me. Jesus was separated from his father because of my sin. I love to personalize it because the truth of the matter is I killed Jesus. It wasn't the Jewish people, it was me. It was you. It was us. We hid our faces from him. He was despised. Remember what was said of Jesus at the cross? If you're the son of God, pull yourself down from there. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him as stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And you think that woman was looking at Jesus and thinking anything other than, oh, praise the name of the Lord. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. A chastisement for our peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Me, I was healed. Every lash to Christ's back was for me. The nails were for me. The blood was for me. That's why he had to die. He didn't die for religion. He died for me. He died because I am a sinner. Because I was lost. He died for that woman who couldn't stand up, but she was loosed. He died for the man that was carrying his own bed. He died for the lame man and the crippled man and the man with the withered hand. He died for the widow's son that he raised from the dead. He died so we could live. He was beaten for you and for me. And it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took the bread. And when he had broken it, he said to the disciples, Take and eat, for this is my body broken for you, as often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Verse 6 of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 53 says all we 
all we. The same all that Jesus used when he said, if you do not repent, you will all perish, that all. Every last one of us. And so when Jesus died on the cross and he shed his final drop of blood, he said, Father, forgive them. Who's the them? The all we who will believe in his name. Those that would receive him as Lord, as Savior. We've all turned to our own way. And the Lord laid upon him, upon Jesus, the iniquity of every last one of us. So that's why Jesus said, as he took the cup after supper, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. Not like the old covenant. That was the mingled blood in the courtyard. The blood of the new covenant. The blood that forgives our sin. The blood that pays the price for everything you have done in the past, did do today, and will do tomorrow. That blood is the sufficient payment for all of it. And so Jesus said, as often as you drink of this, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Father, as your redeemed ones, as your children, Lord, we thank you that you paid the price for our sin, that your broken body and shed blood took care of the penalty and the payment. Lord, we don't have to die for our own sins any longer. You died for them for us. And we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. And Lord, in response to that, don't let us be judgmental. Don't let us be hurtful and angry. Don't let us be bitter and bent over, Lord. Let us look up and see that our Redeemer draws nigh. Lord, help us to be bearers of your image. Help us to speak of your marvelous light. Lord, cause us to be what this world needs, which is a little glimmer of hope. To all who would believe in your name, to them you gave the power to become the sons of God. And so, Lord, help that grace to just exude from us. Help us to be merciful and kind and tender and gentle. Help us to lift up people's chins so that they can see you. Father, we thank you for sending your own son. Jesus, we thank you for dying. It's in Jesus' precious name we ask these things. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.